the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears Sweet land of liberty of the Arsene. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob Franz. Alrighty then, yes indeed, good morning to you. It is, uh, let's see, eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It is the eighth morning of the twelfth month of the year of our Lord, 2023, And if my uh, calendar is accurate, I do believe it is indeed a free-for-all Friday! And you can't hear the scream. Mr. Scream was screaming here, but he's not plugged in, so oh well, my bad. Uh, It is also a fist bump Friday, so friends, make sure that you fist bump the people next to you in your your place of work today. If you're in line at a donut shop, if you are uh, checking out at the gas station or whatever it is, uh, make sure you offer somebody the knuckles and tell them it's Fist Bump Friday. Spread a little bit of uh, positive energy to one another. That's something we started a bit uh, a while ago, and we're going to continue to do each and every Friday. Right here on this program, we actually invented it right here about, uh, I don't know, three, four Fridays ago. We are, uh, by the way, we are Free For All Friday today in name only because we are just slammed with uh, very important guests. Coming up, the former uh, acting commissioner of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency for the United States of America, Mark Morgan, is going to join us to talk about this impossible to understand uh, platform that the Democrats and that the Biden regime continue to run with respect to demanding a hundred 
billion of your dollars to secure Ukrainians border, the Ukrainian border with Russia, and then just to make it more palatable for us to give some to Israel without addressing our ongoing border nightmare with the just extraordinary numbers of people and drugs and weapons and human beings being trafficked across that southern border with military-age males to the tune of 12,000 in a day. In a day. There was a time when Democrats used to say, the country will break if we had 2,000 illegal border crossings a day. We average 8,000 a day. Now the record, the new record is 12,000 in a day. And they don't give one single, they don't care. Let's phrase it that way, not one little bit. So Mark Morgan is going to join us at 935 here. We're going to talk about that at 1010. I find this to be a fascinating way to really kind of put our finger on the pulse of education and, um, I don't know, of our culture, if you will. Talking to James Fishback. James Fishback is uh, an expert in the subject of debate, talking about specifically school debate, right? Talking about things like, you know, debate teams and, uh, you know, forensics, as they're called. Um, he, he is also the founder of something called Incubate Debate. He studies what is happening in schools and in school competitions statewide and, and, and nationally when it comes to debate forums. And what he has pulled back the curtain on Again, it's just kind of like a way to really take the temperature of what's going on in our schools and, and what our kids are allowed to think and what they're allowed to say. What he has discovered is through debate, the censorship of ideas and the censorship of, of sharing and making an argument that we see online is on steroids when it's actually in person. Kids are, are showing up to debate competitions and being told by the judges before they even start the things that the judges hate. And if your speech includes things that the judges hate, you will lose, no matter how good of a job you do at presenting that that argument, uh, you know how, how good of a job you do at meeting all the requirements of the actual debate. You'll lose. For example, one judge says, if you talk about capitalism in a positive way, you're done. One said, I am a Marxist, Leninist, Maoist, and I will never vote for, meaning voting on who won a debate, for arguments that include capitalism being good, normalizing Israel, or normalizing policing. If, you include, if your arguments in your debate include any of those things, you will automatically lose. I will vote against you. This is happening. This is with the you this is a really really interesting way to look at what's going on and what's happening with respect to our kids and uh and and the the damaging uh role that educators play uh through things like through things like speech and debate. So that's going to be big. At 10:35, Matt Huffman is the president of the Ohio Senate. We're going to talk to him speaking of indoctrination in Ohio schools or in schools generally, but this is specific to Ohio. We're going to talk to him about Senate Bill 83. We talked to Jerry Serino about that yesterday. Uh, And we're going to talk to the Senate president about what kind of pressure he might be able to put on the Speaker of the House, Jason Stevens, the uh, trans-Democrat speaker who joined with uh, 21 other trans-Democrats to steal the gavel from an actual conservative named Eric Marin, now uh, supported, supported by the 33 Democrats in the Ohio House. Will Stevens bring Senate Bill 83, which is the uh, uh, 
saving adolescent or excuse me uh it is the uh um education enhancement uh, uh bill put forth by by uh Jerry Serino that kills DEI or at least it kills the mandating of DEI po- uh, policies in schools so that actual education can take over as opposed to uh ideology and as opposed to indoctrination it's very very important we're going to talk to him about that we're also going to talk to him about issue 2 and what kinds of changes might be able to be put forth by the General Assembly, a little bit on issue one, two, the districting, House Bill 68, which is the Saving Adolescents from Experimentation Safe Act, had testimony there this week from Riley Gaines and others. Uh, that was actually last week. So Matt Huffman, the Senate president, will be with us. And then at 1110, Kim Russell returns. Kim Russell is the former women's lacrosse coach at the People's Republic of Oberlin College. And um, she testified beyond the General Assembly in Columbus. She was invited to the House Oversight Committee earlier this week with Riley Gaines and others to testify before the United States Congressional Committee about what was done to her. Uh, And if you don't recall what was done to her, she summarized it by saying she was burned at the stake for daring as a women's lacrosse coach to express an opinion at Oberlin College, which honestly would look more comfortable if it sat in the middle of Beijing or Wuhan, because that's how literally communist that uh, that con- that uh, college is. And um, this is uh, th- this is a, a horrific thing that Kim Russell uh, endured. And so she was invited to testify about that as they continue to push back against Biden administrations, the Biden administration's uh, rewriting of Title IX rules. So those are the guests today. Like I said, it's going to be a free-for-all in name only. We're not going to have a ton of time for calls today. We'll do our best to squeeze you in. As I always say on days when we're heavy on guests, hit them where they ain't. That's uh, Seth, who said that? Who, who, who did hit them, hit them where they ain't? Was it, was it Ted Williams? I, I, I feel like it was, it was one of the greatest hitters of all time. We just said, you just got to hit the ball where they ain't. I'll look it up. Okay, you don't know. Yeah, nobody knows. Everybody, nobody knows my references. I know them. I don't always know where they originate, though. Heard it, been, but... it might have been Ted Williams, but I'm not positive. But that's the nature of baseball is hit them where they ain't. So uh, when it comes to a talk show, uh, you've got to make your calls where the guests ain't. Uh, find spots before, between, and after guests to make your calls. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now, despite all of those phenomenal conversations to come, they are not the lead stories of this program today. The lead story was last night. You found it, Seth? Willie Keeler. Oh, it's Wee Willie Keeler. Yeah. Wee Willie Keeler, who, um, I'm trying to remember his biggest claim. I remember Pete Rose passing him when he was chasing DiMaggio, when Rose ended up with the second longest streak of like 44 hitting streak. I think he passed Wee Willie Keeler. That's why that name jumps out to me. And, of course, Rose stopped at 44, couldn't catch DiMaggio at 56. Yeah, but from, uh, he was a right fielder from 1892 to 1910. Yeah. Right. His motto was, keep your eye clear and hit them where they ain't. There you go. That's the name of the game. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. That's not the lead story of the day. The lead story of the day, I will tell you after we pledge allegiance to the flag of this great country. Patriots, and I love the fact that we've got a flag sitting right here on the window. People decorate and put flags wherever they can just to make sure they do this. At least that's what they tell me during speeches. Uh, that I give in uh, various locations, people tell me where they have their flag so that when they pledge or when we do our pledge every morning, they have one where they are at that time of day, and I just absolutely love that. So if you do have one of those, go ahead and face it and put your hand on your heart and join us. If you're able to stand, stand. And if uh, you are a supporter of the Biden regime 
taking your liberty from you while allowing members of their family to take money from you in illegal and corrupt means, well, then you, this, this, whole, this whole flag thing, this whole free country thing, this whole system of laws thing isn't for you anyway. Don't fake it. Don't, uh, don't try to stand. You're going to have to play this, Seth. Uh, don't try to stand and uh, fake it. Just go ahead and instead take a knee like uh, the rest of the Marxists. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So it is a reality. Uh, Hunter Biden is now facing um, a new indictment in California. Hunter Biden facing 17 years in prison with nine new charges, accusing him of what's being called a four-year scheme to evade paying over one, about $1.5 million in taxes. That's what this means. Hunter Biden and Joe Biden and all of their family corruption, which we have, again, been talking about for quite some time, Hunter, Hunter Biden and Joe Biden have been, uh, have been engaging in this scheme to take money from foreign countries, uh, enriching the family by selling access to the, Biden, uh, to the Obama White House. Hunter Biden given seats on boards where he has no business being in countries he can't find on a map with languages he couldn't understand if he wasn't a, a crackhead. Um, with, uh, you know, tasked with job responsibilities he couldn't possibly live up to because he knows nothing about the energy uh, world or the energy sector. All of these things we have known uh, about the corruption of Team Biden. Now we have something much, much more specific, that not only do they take money without uh, 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 through corrupt means, they don't pay taxes on the money they take in. Hunter Biden indicted last night on a litany of tax charges. Now, this, by the way, is just a couple of days after we found out that Hunter Biden was being uh, uh, subpoenaed to testify before the House Oversight Committee in a deposition, a closed-door deposition. He originally said, no, I'll testify, but only before uh, in a public forum, which, of course, is much easier to handle when you can just filibuster in five minutes at a time of questioning from uh, from um, committee members, just go go right out the window. Uh, so then he originally said just, uh, I think it was yesterday or Wednesday, that he wasn't going to testify. He was going to defy the subpoena to be deposed, which, of course, is going to lead to a whole host of other problems for him. So that that just literally happened two days ago. Now, here comes the indictment. The indictment says Hunter Biden failed to pay nearly $200,000 of income tax in the year 2019. And similar amounts, and in fact, higher amounts in 2020, uh, all told about $1.4 million in taxes. He spent his money on everything from crack to illegally obtained guns to strippers to OnlyFans accounts and other online sex and porn addiction uh, uh, locations. He spent it on everything except paying his tax bills. Special counsel David Weiss has been using a federal grand jury in L.A. to gather evidence of possible criminal tax charges against Hunter Biden. 
He pleaded guilty, I'm sorry, not guilty, in October to federal gun charges, some of which I just referenced, in U.S. District Court in Delaware. Um, and the, uh, after being charged out of Weiss's years-long investigation, now we all know David Weiss, we'll come back to that, because Jim Jordan and I talk about him at length, about David Weiss's intent to allow the worst um, crimes alleged of Hunter Biden's to expire, to exceed the statute of limitations. So Weiss making this power play now against Hunter Biden in California is eye-opening, to say the least. Earlier this week, James Comer released subpoenaed bank records showing an entity owned by Hunter Biden had made direct monthly payments to Joe Biden, which is about as smoking of a gun as you are going to find when it comes to alleged corruption. Comer attributed... Thursday's indictment, last night's indictment, to the efforts of the two brave IRS whistleblowers that Jim Jordan had testify, Gary Shapley and Joseph Ziegler. Quote, the Department of Justice got caught in its attempt to give Hunter Biden an unprecedented sweetheart plea deal. Every American should applaud these men for the courage to expose the truth. Unless U.S. Attorney Weiss investigates everyone involved in the Biden's fraud schemes and influence peddling, it will be clear that President Biden's DOJ is protecting Hunter Biden and the big guy, which, of course, is President Biden. The White House has said repeatedly that Biden did nothing wrong and had no knowledge of his son's business dealings. But, of course, now that we have literally hundreds of email records, receipts brought forth by the Oversight Committee of Joe Biden's communications directly using pseudonyms on his email to coordinate and communicate with Hunter Biden's business associates, it blows the entire thing out of the water. The reality is really starting to hit. We, we, we didn't make it up when we told you that like father, like son. It's time for an encore. Child called me up just the other day. He's on he crack. said, Dad, I need some crack. Can you help me today? And I had lots of cash, but bills to pay. He said, Don't worry, Dad, I'll find another way. He did. He was smoking for I knew it and away he flew. Saying I'm gonna be like you, Dad. Yeah, he did. You know I'm gonna be like you. And he is. And hunters in the basement with a silver spoon. The hookers and drugs were gonna be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when I'll be good and high by then, Dad Yeah, I'll be good and high by then Picking through rugs, um, smoking anything that even remotely resembled crack cocaine I'm very proud of my son My son came around just the other day He said, I got me a deal where we can both get paid Can I trade on your name? I said, sure, okay Will anyone know? He said, no, no way. And as he walked away, he looked kind of dim and said, I'm going to be like him. Yeah, you know I'm going to be like him. He's, he's fixed it. He's worked on it. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. Ukrainian bribes were going to be there soon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'll put aside your 10%, Dad. I'll always have your 10%. I know how to game the system. Come on. Come on. Well, he came from Kiev just the other day. And a smile so big 
I just had to say, son, I'm proud of you. How's our cash supply? He nodded his head and said, great big guy, but what I really need, dad, is to borrow the car keys. You can take the vet, but watch the boxes, please. And Hunter's in the basement with a silver spoon. Classified papers all over the room. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know when. I'm getting good and high again, Dad. I'm getting good and high again. He pointed out the reason why he regrets it is he didn't anticipate that that thugs like Giuliani would use it to, in fact, try to embarrass his father. Yes, they are. They're flat thugs. Come on. This guy has a dog whistle about as big as a foghorn. I stole an election and my son moved away. I called him up just the other day. I said, you owe some cash. I want my cut today. He said, calm down, Dad. You know it's on the way. But my laptop is gone and now it's on you. And now we're both really screwed, Dad. And now we're both gonna be screwed. And as I hung up the phone, it occurred to me He was damn near dumber than me My boy was dumb as me And there was Hunter in the basement with a silver spoon All of our crimes were coming out real soon When's it all in, son? I don't know when But we're gonna end up in the pen, Dad We're both gonna be in the pen Absolutely certain, 100% certain, that at the end of the investigation, that I will be cleared of any wrongdoing. God save the queen, man. 17 years in the pen is what Hunter is looking at right now with those nine charges of evading $1.4 million in taxes. So far, the left's defense is um, Trump, but, but Trump. Trump is facing 91 felonies. They cannot defend against this. This is going to be a wild ride. All right, it's uh, 927. We're going to take a time out. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about our extraordinarily dangerous... Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. 12,000 encounters in a day. 12,000, an average of 8,000. Crossing our southern border, it is simply incomprehensible. If somebody would have told me, hey, Bob, in your worst nightmare, and your worst possible outcome that you can imagine in your mind's eye, of how bad would the Biden administration be when it comes to protecting American sovereignty and protecting American citizens, protecting American resources from being overrun uh, by an absolute invasion, I never would have thought it could be this bad. Never in a million years. Meanwhile, any pushback against it results in um, commentary from the diversity hire like this. Very, very clear about um, about the supplemental and how important it is. As you've seen, the OMB director has been pretty out pretty out there on the different networks uh, making the case. Um, and one of the things that um, she has said is that it's stunning. It's stunning that we've gotten to this point, right? It's stunning that we have gotten to this point, and that Republicans in Congress uh, willing to give Putin a, a, a gift, the greatest gift that Putin could help could hope for. That's what we're seeing. And so they are playing chicken with our national security. That's what we're seeing here. And history will, will remember them harshly. History will remember us harshly. We're playing games with national security. They want to send billion, tens of billions of more dollars 
for the Ukrainian border protection, none for our protection, but we're playing games with national security. You know, Republicans uh, talk about uh, immigration reform. They talk about border security. Uh, the president, you know, on day one, the president put forth an immigration policy, right? He put, put forth a comprehensive immigration legislation to start that conversation, essentially to start negotiating on day one. It's been three years, and they have not been moving forward in good faith. They have not been trying to get to a solution in good faith. The system is broken. We want to find real solutions. The president said yesterday he, he's, re- he's willing to have a serious conversation about this. But they, they, where's the good faith? That woman is a stampede of stupid. That's just the reality of it. You know why she got her job, and uh, she, per- she performs to that very level every single day. Comprehensive immigration reform means amnesty. There have been 9 million new crossers since Biden took over on January 20th of 2021, and she's saying we're not serious about national security. Let's talk to somebody who is. Mark Morgan is a visiting fellow in the Border Security and Immigration Center at the Heritage Foundation. He's also the former acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Mr. Morgan, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Bob, thanks for having me. Unfortunately, every day I wake up angry, pissed off, and frustrated because of what you just eloquently described that's happening at our borders. Yeah, uh, I do too. Uh, and, you know, the frustrating thing is, is we, 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 have, we know what the solutions are. It's just that yep. guys like you have to be put in charge of them, and you're not there anymore. Uh, and that's the, that's the problem here. Um, l- let's, talk, let's talk just for a second about what she said there, that on day one, President Biden had a plan and put forth this legislation to start the conversation on comprehensive immigration reform. Why is it that every time we say border security, they say immigration reform? Yeah, so Bob, I tell you, I love it. That's the question, and that is one among many, but that's one of the biggest lies, and they intentionally keep saying immigration. Here's why, Bob, because if you make what's happening at our borders about immigration and you want to change and stop what's happening at our borders, right, let's follow the bouncing ball, then you're against immigration. And if you're against immigration, you're against brown people, and if you're against brown people, you're a racist. Right. That's why. And, and, and this is one of the big things. I go out across the country. What's happening at our borders. And you just said it. You know this. What's happening at our borders is not about immigration. It's about border security, protecting and defending our country, protecting and defending our nation against drugs, criminals and national security threats pouring in. It's synonymous with national security. What's happening and in a large part is being driven by illegal immigration. Illegal immigration and immigration are two separate things. One is legal. One is a crime that drives our borders to be open. You know, uh, you're you're obviously right about that. And and they they are, they have first of all they stopped letting us call them illegal aliens a long time, or at least they tried to a long time ago. And they said no, they're undocumented immigrants. Undocumented immigrants is now even too much of a of a pejorative for them. Now they have to be called asylum seekers. They're they're just seeking asylum from persecution in the country they're in their countries of origin. Well, you heard the same and saw the same individuals being uh, interviewed uh, there in Arizona. Uh, I love you, Joe Biden. Thank you. Joe Biden, for letting us come here to your great country, uh, the land of opportunity here. And another one says, I'm here because uh, this is better than where I came from. They're not fleeing persecution. They're, they're, they're not even pretending to be asylum seekers, but they know that once they get encountered on the other side of the border, they have to say, I'm seeking asylum. I'm being persecuted in my own country. It is dishonest, and, and, and that's how we have to view them now, um, according to the, you know, the Biden regime. 
everything you said spot on. I I I've nothing to to, to to add to that. Except except we could go even a step further because it's not just asylum seekers they call them, remember? Now they're forced to call them non citizens. Right? So now now they've removed the illegal part from illegal immigration, which is a crime, right. but now they're actually giving them a title of, of quote, a, a quasi-citizen. And think about this, and you're exactly right. Everybody listening right now, they need to understand asylum. To qualify for asylum, as you just said, you have to be the specific victim of state-sponsored persecution because you're involved in a protected class, wanting to climb the economic ladder, wanting to find a better job, wanting to get a better car or home in the land of opportunity does not qualify for asylum. It is illegal to do what they're doing. And here's the issue. And people say, well, Mark, you know, aren't you a Christian? Don't you have compassion? They're just looking for a better life. Again, one, it's not a valid asylum claim. But number two, they, they t- say that, Bob, as if there's no downside to illegal immigration. And there is. It pulls resources off the front line, away from the law enforcement and national security mission, so the cartels can expand the operational control and take advantage where the border is wide open, because there's no agents patrolling it. And that's how the cartels are pushing drugs, criminals, and national security threats. That's why what's happening at our border is not about immigration. It's about border security, which is synonymous with national security, and it's being driven in large part because of illegal immigration. Yeah, and, and people are facing uh, the repercussions of this, not just in the border states anymore, thanks to people like Greg Abbott. Uh, J.B. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, uh, complained to Alejandro Mayorkas about all of these illegals that are coming uh, you know, coming up to Chicago and, uh, and overrunning that city. We already know what's going on in New York. Eric Adams is screaming about this as well. But um, you know these, of course, are are designated sanctuary cities by their own hand. But but the, Mayorkas's response wasn't, yeah, we need to kind of like you know uh, slow this down a little bit. His response was, it's all Greg Abbott's fault. I'm paraphrasing here. He said, but we've got another governor who is not acting in good faith. We've got a governor who is is sending all of these people up there as a political stunt and as a political statement. Well, in other words, Governor Pritzker, we're really sorry that your state is having to endure some of this. We would prefer the Governor Abbott state uh, 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 absorb it all. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And real quick, so so Mayor Adams, let's not give him too much credit because he's yelling and screaming and opining. Again, he ran on it. He supports sanctuary cities. He's not asking for the president, our Secretary Marcus, to reverse course with respect to open border policy. He's just asking for more money to deal with it, right? So so I, I don't want to give him too much credit. But Secretary Marcus, look, this man, I, I say he's the most dangerous man uh, in this administration. I also think there's some serious consideration we could do with respect to if there's some criminality, what he's doing, because he is actually refusing to enforce the law. He is actually... Uh, the one that I call him the chief architect of the open border policies. And here's what's real quick, because another thing he says is that that Congress is failing to act. Now, yes, there are loopholes in the system, but here's what I'll submit to you. Under the Trump administration, I was there, we were straddled with the same issues. Congress had failed to, to, to fix the loopholes. We had the same issues that we were navigating. But what did that president do? What did President Trump do? He gave us a network of tools, authorities, and policies within the current uh, framework to close those loopholes that, that reduced illegal immigration by 85 percent the lowest have been in four decades and we have the most secure border none of that changed with respect to the laws and the broken elements within them when biden took over what they what did change is they dismantled every effective tool authority we had a policy like the safe third country agreements the remain in mexico program title 42 and the wall 
We're talking to Mark Morgan, the uh, former acting commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection. I'm looking at a at a photograph here from Lukeville, Texas, or is it Lukeville? Either way you pronounce it. Uh, uh, excuse me, Arizona, Lukeville, Arizona. Beg your pardon. From Wednesday night, uh, this is after there were the twelve thousand encounters on Wednesday that we were talking about. This picture is just of a never-ending line of military-age males. These are the ones who are coming in. Um, if they were all wearing the same color shirt, we would call it an invasion by, 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 you know, a foreign army. Um, that's exactly what it is. These, these aren't families. There aren't a bunch of little kids here. There aren't a bunch of old people who are starving and we're just looking for, these are military age males. How is it that the current regime, the president of the United States, the Homeland Security secretary, the defense department for crying out loud, how do they not see this for the threat that it is? That's right. Think about that. 12,000 in a single 24-hour period, and that's just along our southwest border. That's the highest in number a single day since we've been keeping data since 1924, 100 years, Bob. This is unsustainable for every any country. And as you said, what should serve as a wake-up call is when you look at that and the reporters are going along the line, it wasn't just Mexicans. It wasn't just people from the northern Central America. It was from the Middle East. It was from Africa. It was from Asia. Right now in the past 35 months, We've encountered illegal aliens from 180 different countries, and we know many of those countries sponsor, facilitate, and harbor terrorism. That's what we call special interest aliens. And right now, those individuals that you said, uh, you know, adult, single adult males of military age, the ones that even were apprehending, Bob, we have no idea to vet them. Do you think if we, if, if somebody comes from Lebanon, that we're working with the Lebanese government to make sure that they're not part of Hezbollah? That's insane. Not a chance. You're living in, a, in, a, in an alternate universe if you think that's happening. So we're not only releasing individuals we apprehend that we have no idea who they are, what their intention is, or what their allegiance is, but now let's look at the couple of million of gotaways that, that we've experienced. I mean, again, this is unsustainable. This is why we say every aspect of our nation's safety and national security being jeopardized among the couple of billion. I mean, we don't know how many criminals, how many murderers, rapists, pedophiles, gang members, how many potential terrorists are among the the two million plus gotaways. So, Mr. Morgan, the real question here is where do we turn for relief from any of this? I would like to say from the minority party, the opposition party, the party not in power right now, even though they have a very, very razor thin majority in the in the House. But overall, the Republicans, but the Republicans are willing to sell out border security unless uh, Volodymyr Zelensky gets another thirty or forty or fifty or sixty billion dollars of our tax uh, tax dollars, and the new speaker is willing to make the deal, uh, saying that if you give us some new you know money or resources or or I don't know if it's a whole new policy at our southern border, we'll give you the money to send to Ukraine. And Republicans won't agree to uh, the border security, even if they did do that without that money going to Ukraine. So both parties here yep. seem to be heavily invested in the only way we'll address the border is is if we give money to, you know, Ukraine's border. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. And this is something, this is why we keep saying, so the Democrats caused the lawlessness and chaos jeopardizing our safety and national security, but the Republicans are refusing to fix it. They have the opportunity right now. They're aiding and, and abetting. Say again? Uh, they're aiding and abetting it, really. I, I, I think you could argue that right now, especially because we're in our, our second in a series of continued resolutions, right? Rather than, than actually address it and hold the line with the budgetary process, they've kicked the can down the road while the lulls and the chaos continues to go. So I agree with you. 
so here's what we have. H.R. 2. It's, it's the strongest piece of border security legislation that's ever been passed in a single chamber in, in the United States Congress. The House passed that. All but one Republican senator voted for it. That's the answer. And ironically, although it's the strongest piece of border security legislation that's ever been passed, in my opinion, it's not strong enough. But set that aside. So we have it. So why are the Senate Republicans in now negotiating with the Democrats to water down H.R. 2? Why are they willing to compromise on our border security? We have the plan. It's H.R. 2. But yet we have Senate Republicans right now walking back from it, which they voted for it. They voted for it. And they're trying to walk it back. I don't understand. We, we have Democrat senators. Senator Warner was just on television yesterday talking about if we don't support Ukraine, history is going to show it as a mistake. We can't cut and run our support with Ukraine. Time is running out with Ukraine. Well, I would say we should be saying those same phrases, the same passion and commitment to securing our own border. If we don't secure our borders, Bob, history is going to show it as a mistake and time is running out. And the last thing I'll say, what in the world? Do we come to come to a position where we're going to compromise, compromise with respect to securing our borders? How much compromise should we make? with How much fentanyl should we allow to come in? How many criminals should we allow to come in? How many national security threats should we come in? Where is the compromise number with that? That's a great question. Between the drugs, you know, the fentanyl, the cartels, the gang members, the human traffickers, the drug uh, gun runners, everybody that's coming across that border, exactly what is an acceptable number for this administration? Right now, it is limitless. No one is being turned away. Uh, But what exactly would be an acceptable number for the Republicans to say, here's what we'll allow uh, as long as we get money to Zelensky? Uh, and again, for them to say that history will will look uh, look down upon us for our decisions here for for supporting a foreign border that we could not be further removed from, and really, quite frankly, further removed from in terms of our national interests. Uh, a ton of nations around them are much more impacted. They're the ones who ought to be worried about securing the border between Ukraine and Russia, our NATO allies uh, in the region here, or our border? Which one is the yeah. more of a direct impact on the national security of the United States? And they are saying Europe's. Eastern Europe is a, is a bigger threat to the, to the, uh, to the uh, a homeland of the United States than our own southern border with Mexico. Yeah, Bob, that's right. And real quick, if I can. So, so one of the phrases I wrote down, you said, which was great, is, is that they're opining that, that if we don't do this with Ukraine, it's the greatest gift to, to, Putin. to, to Russia. Yeah. Right, right to Putin. Well, he, how about this? Uh, if we don't secure our own border, guess what that is? That's the greatest gift to the Mexican cartel. They are literally laughing at us. They are literally going to the bank every day, and they, they, they can't spend enough time at their bank because there's the profit that they're reaping from our open borders, both, both from the human and drug smuggling routes. We have our own war at our own southern border, and it's with the cartels. And if we don't secure our border, it's the greatest gift to them. Well, you know, you're not wrong, but I, guess I might add to it and say it's also the greatest gift we could, be, we could give to the CCP. Because in, embedded in with, with these 10, you know, 10 to 12,000 a day of individuals coming over is an extraordinary large number of Chinese nationals. You know, and again, and, and I don't care where they're from other than the fact that that is our greatest geopolitical foe. And we know that China means no good to the United States. And what is the intention of this massive invasion of Chinese people as well? Of military-age right. military Chinese men, I should say. Uh, 
completely agree. Completely agree 100%. That's why we say what's happening at border is about border security, synonymous with national security. In the last 35 months, 24,000 Chinese nationals, 98% of them are single adult males of military age. Think about that. That's more than, than we received at our southern border in the last 15, 18 years, I believe, Bob. In addition to that, keep in mind. Keep in mind, in the past 35 months, we've encountered over 285 illegal aliens on the FBI's terror screening database. We've apprehended tens of thousands of what we call special interest aliens that we come from countries that we know harbor, sponsor, and facilitate terrorism. Now, my question is, how many aliens on the FBI's terror screening database and how many special interest aliens, again, from countries that harbor, sponsor, and terrorism, uh, uh, sponsor terrorism is among the 2 million-plus gotaways? That's a very, very good question. And, uh, and you know, just to, just to follow that up, um, what do you suppose Xi Jinping would do if 24,000 uh, military-age American males flooded across their border in a, in a two-month period of time? What do you think, how do you think they would handle that? Exactly. Well, I'll tell you how they're handling their own nationals coming across our border. Guess what? When, when the, the, the 24,000 Chinese nationals that have come across our border under this administration, two things happen. One, the Chinese government refuses to acknowledge them as Chinese citizens. And number two, they refuse to take them back. And guess what we do? We say, eh, okay, we release them to the United States. Unbelievable. Uh, it is it is it is absolutely criminal the uh, danger that they are putting this country and our homeland security in. Uh, Mark Morgan, visiting fellow at the border in the uh, Border Security and Immigration Center at the Heritage Foundation, former acting uh, uh, Customs and Border Protection Commissioner as well. Mr. Morgan, keep up the great work. Thanks so much. We'll stay in touch. Thanks, Bob. Anytime. All right, nine fifty-five. We're going to take a time out here. We're loaded up today, as I said. That was guest one. We've got three more to go. James Fishback, founder of Incubate Debate, is going to join us next to talk about what in the living hell they're doing to our kids and how we can learn about it, what's going on in our schools, by watching forensics. Sight on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, friends, uh, we do continue on this free-for-all Friday. Now it's seven minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock, the eighth morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2023. It is a fist bump Friday, so I will remind you once again, Anybody you see, if you're in line, if you're at the job, if you're in the break room, if you're in your cubicle, reach around the uh, little cubicle wall there and uh, put the knuckles up to somebody. Give a little fist bump to somebody, a little bit of good cheer. It's something we could all desperately use in this crazy, divided, divided country that we live in. Now, I'm going to let you hear something from a high school debate that you probably didn't think you would ever hear at a high school debate based on previous conversations with my next guest. I don't hate illegal immigrants. I don't believe my dream is worth more than theirs. But here's what I do believe. We should put our American citizens first. Do I believe that illegal immigrants are more worthy than the veterans in New York City that have been kicked out of shelters to make room for migrants? No, I do not. Do I believe that illegal immigrants are more important than the mother in El Paso, Texas, who was forced to drive five hours because the hospital couldn't give birth to her because the illegal immigrants completely filled the hospital to its capacity? No, I don't. 
I believe that we are a nation of immigrants. But we are also a nation of legal immigrants. Let us not forget that in any policy, but especially in immigration, the American people, you and I, absolutely come first. We need to secure our safety and prosperity before we can start to worry about the prosperity of nationals that are not under our control. That kid's 14 or 15. He's a high school freshman. I don't know if he's 14 or 15, but I do know that if he had made any one of those remarks at the National Speech and Debate Association or at a National Speech and Debate Association event, he would have been disqualified, like immediately. And I know this from our previous conversations with our next guest. James Fishback joins us now. James is the founder of Incubate Debate, which was the host for the speech that you just heard. Uh, and it was created in response to, um, well, the, uh, the, the extraordinary leftism and wokeness of the, uh, of the uh, Speech and Debate Association. James, good to have you back on the program. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Thank you very much. And I'll give you a virtual fist bump on uh, on this fist bump Friday. Thank you. I will accept it. And it's coming right back at you there. I, I've been doing this for about four or five weeks now on a Friday. I, I don't know. I just kind of invented it on a, on a whim. And I did it to somebody. I said, hey, it's fist bump Friday. And everybody, every stranger I've done it to ever since, I've not yet had one person look at me and not put their knuckles back up. You put your you put your fist out to somebody, they're going to tap knuckles with you. So it's this is a nice way to say, to say hey. Okay, James. Absolutely. Um, so so this is extraordinary. Um, I want to come back to what I led with after we talk about how things are going. For those who remember our last conversation, you have been uh, sounding the alarm on what's going on. Uh, in the uh, forensics world, in the National Speech and Debate Association, with radical left-wing judges essentially disqualifying contestants or telling them they will be automatic losers if they use words or say things that the judges don't personally subscribe to, regardless of how well the presentations are done. And why, why this matters, of course, is because this is indicative of what's happening at our schools. Um, kids are not allowed to express thoughts. They do not have freedom of thought, freedom of expression, freedom of speech that they're supposed to, if it offends the wrong individual, uh, they're, they're going to find themselves, you know, essentially being virtually canceled. So um, tell us um, about some of the new examples that you have been chronicling of this in the, uh, in the National Speech and Debate Association world. Absolutely, Bob. And so we were together about six months ago when I first broke the story in the free press. I was a former high school debater 15 years ago. This event changed my life. I came back to it as a debate coach after college, and it had transformed into something that was a leftist ideological echo chamber. It was anti-American, anti-merit, and ironically was anti-debate. There were just certain things, certain arguments you couldn't make. You couldn't even utter the word illegal immigration. You sure as heck couldn't say anything positive about President Trump. And so what I did was I started an alternative, and the young man, you just 14 years old, he's a freshman in high school, the first ever freshman, by the way, to win an Incubate Debate Championship title. That first five seconds of his speech when he mentioned the word illegal immigration, that would have gotten him disqualified in a National Speech and Debate Association tournament. He went on to win an Incubate Debate tournament. We are all about free speech and open debate. We need to have these conversations as a country. But to your point about what I've uncovered, I, I can't even really begin to describe 
the rot that we've uh, uncovered since our last conversation. Let me set the stage for you. It's 2021. It's the final round of the national championship of high school debate. And the topic is whether the costs of the International Monetary Fund outweigh the benefits. And so the students come to the debate, prepared for a debate, but one of the teams stands up and says, this topic isn't important. Debating this topic has no impact on the IMF. What we need to debate is transgender genocide in America. goes on to state that 28 states want to kill transgender people and then hijacks the entire debate round. It doesn't even mention the IMF once and talks about the trans experience, that if you misgender somebody, you should be punished. If you don't believe in this life-altering sex changes for minor, you are evil. And so what ends up happening, those kids end up doing all of that for 45 minutes, and they end up winning the national championship title for rejecting the assigned topic and for going on this off-topic, illogical, unintelligible rant about so-called transgenocide. That's the state of high school debate. And so, Bob, it would be no different if you or I or any of your listeners went to a spelling bee and said, you know what, I think spelling is racist. And we beatboxed instead, and we actually won the spelling bee. That's not how this is supposed to go. That's anti-merit. It is anti-American. Incubate debate is changing that by offering young Americans an alternative. If they want to debate, they come to us, and they do that as such. In the example you just gave, James, what did the losing school do? Did they, like, stay on the IMF, or did they join the discussion of transgenocide, and, and, uh, and how did they handle it? actually figured out there was a lose-lose situation because if they went on to make the topic about the IMF, they would have been called transphobic. And if they went on and said, you know what, there aren't so-called MAGA Republicans who are trying to kill trans people, they would have been called transphobic. So within about five minutes of the round, they actually conceded and then opened it up to be a, a conversation about transgender health care and so on. And so it just shows you the fear that these young men had on the other team. And they said, look, there's no way we can do this because the judges are so progressive. If we try in any way to bring it back to the IMF or to try to debunk the obvious fallacies and falsehoods of that transgenocide point that we are going to lose and we're going to be blackballed in the speech and debate community. So the only thing they could do is concede and to think, I mean, if 10 years ago you would have told me that the national debate round was conceded by a team, I would have been blown away. But I would have even more blown away by the fact that they conceded because the other team went on an off-topic rant about something that had no uh, no relevance to the IMF. I'm trying to figure out, like, is there no respect whatsoever for the schools? I mean, how much work did they put into preparation for debating the merits versus the costs of the IMF? And then yeah. because this other school or individual decides to do this, all of the work that they had put into it has just gone you know, by the wayside, no respect for it whatsoever. How about if you're a judge, you say, you know, what you are bringing up is a really, really good point, and it is very interesting. It's not the point of this. So if you are not prepared to debate the IMF, the winner is going to be declared as this other school. Now let's go ahead and have that conversation. If they wanted to do that, maybe, just maybe, it's at least a little bit less egregious of a a crime. Uh, But the fact that they went ahead and rewarded and awarded the victory to the team that did not not prepare for the IMF at all and decided we were going to come and hijack the debate, that's, that's astounding. It is astounding. And look, wherever we come down on the transgender issue, if you can even call it that, 
look, there's a time and place for advocacy. There's a time and place for protest. That time and place is not in a national championship final round that will determine who gets college scholarships, acceptances, and so on. And so if you want to go have a protest, if you want to go out and, and host a, 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 a talk session about this issue, this is a free country. You can do that. But don't hijack a debate round. Don't make someone who spent two months preparing. Think about all the kids, Bob, who watched that final round thinking that this is the way you have to win. The ripple effects are massive because now what you're telling to the tens of thousands of kids who watched a replay of that round that this is the way you win by rejecting the topic, rejecting the entire purpose of the debate, which is to have a civil conversation about the topic at hand. And that's what we're seeing all across the country is these debates are just being hijacked left, right, and center. James uh, Fishback is uh, my guest. Well, not really left, right, and center, all left. Because uh, nobody's, yeah. nobody's able to do that with a, a topic that might be of appealing uh, or of appeal to, uh, to the right wing, if you will, and uh, would get away with this. Correct. James Fishback is my guest. He is the... Uh, founder of Incubate Debate. Follow him on Twitter because he updates uh, these types of stories all the time at J underscore Fishback, just like it sounds, J underscore Fishback. Also follow Incubate Debate while you're there. James, you um, tweeted about um, one judge uh, who declared, her name is Lila Lavender, who told students that before anything else, including being a debate judge, I am a Marxist, Leninist, Maoist. And, quote, I will never vote for, meaning vote in the affirmative to give a victory in a debate to anyone who makes arguments, including, quote, capitalism good, normalizing Israel and policing good. Um, uh, Once again, I'm I'm trying to figure out how this individual is a judge and uh, and and, and how how her personal ideology is allowed to impact or affect the performance and the merits of an argument made on a debate stage. That's exactly right. And so I, I don't think you or I would have a problem with a progressive judging a debate round. We have no issue with that. Right. I actually think that someone like a Sonia Sotomayor, as much as I personally disagree with her, she could actually be pretty objective in a debate round because she recognizes that the debate isn't about voting for an idea that you want advanced in society. It's about voting for which student came with the better logic and evidence and reasoning. So Lila Lavender comes into the room. She's judged a thousand debate rounds in the last four years. That's a lot. That would put her in the 98th percentile in terms of active debate judges and says that if you argue that Israel has a right to defend itself or that capitalism lifts people out of poverty, you will lose. Here's the worst part, Bob. I broke this story six months ago. Lila Lavender has been known to the NSDA for six months now, and she has judged 35 rounds of debate since that article came out. And so more than any story that was written about this, what all you need to know about the Systemic, ideological, anti-merit rot within the National Speech and Debate Association is they know about Lila. They know she has said she cannot be objective, and they continue to allow her to adjudicate these young men and women who work so hard, who were up late at night with their parents practicing speeches, getting ready for the debates, only to be told that you will lose because I am a Marxist and I don't believe in capitalism or Israel or America or the police or President Trump. That is wrong. That is wrong. That is wrong. Well, and what it is, too, as I said, you know, these are school uh, you know, functions. These are schools who participate in this. And so this is emblematic of what is being taught in the schools. This is why, to me, it's an even bigger topic than just in the world of speech and debate. Um, 
but let me ask you: is this the, is this the reason why you created Incubate Debate? This is the exact reason why I created it. You know, capitalism is good. Sorry, Lila. Capitalism is good. Competition is good. And so we've created a no-cost alternative where free speech, open debate, and merit reign true. And since we last spoke, we have tripled our numbers. We've grown to South Carolina, grown to Georgia. We are taking this model of debate. We're taking it national. We are going to make debate great again. That's a fantastic uh, uh, premise, and I, and I love that it's expanding like this. And what's interesting, when you said make debate great again, that's a reference to uh, making America great again, which brings me to the political question I have for you. Incubate Debate, you have a partnership with Vivek Ramaswamy. Tell us about that. We do. We were so fortunate to receive a generous gift from Vivek and his wife, Aporva, over the summer. And the idea was their son had just been turning one at the time, and they wanted to create a national scholarship that wasn't about the oppression Olympics, wasn't about how oppressed you are, how tough your life is, but it was very simply to reflect on one question in a two-minute video. What does it mean to be an American? And so we had 80,000 students from all over the country, all 50 states, answer this question. We awarded the top 10, $25,000 each, That makes it one of the most generous scholarships available in America today. And so I was proud to have Vivek and his wife at Port and making this scholarship happen. But I think it's so important because so often we had young people tell us in the scholarship process that they had never been asked this question at school. They had never been asked about their American identity. And we had a range of issues, a range of different responses. It it means to be open to equality. It means to be open to liberty. liberty. It means free speech. It means standing up for the truth. And so I'm just so proud of the 80,000 kids who stood up and offered up their responses to maybe the most important question that a young person could answer today. This is slightly off topic, James, but since we're talking about it, Vivek has been a part of four GOP debates since he declared his uh, candidacy for the presidency. How do you judge Fishback? Uh, How do you evaluate Vivek's performance on the debate stage? Absolutely. So this is, of course, me talking as myself and, and not as Incubate, which, of course, is a nonpartisan nonprofit. But let me just say that Vivek is a friend and he knocked that debate out of the park on Tuesday, uh, on Wednesday, rather. And, and so I'll put it to you this way. He's the only America first candidate on stage. It was such a wide gap the way he spoke about these issues, spoke directly to the American people in a way that I think the other candidates have not done. I think the biggest sticking point was between him and Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley wants to send they hate each other. Billion. They hate each other. Yeah. Uh, Nick, Nikki Haley wants to send another $100 billion after $100 billion to Ukraine. And if she wants to do that, she should be able to answer a very simple question. What are the names of three provinces in Ukraine, this country? Billions, hundreds taxpayer money to what is the name of three provinces in that country she wasn't able to answer that on stage that tells you everything that you need to know about the war in ukraine and about their support of it um he's getting booed a lot in some of his performances and again this is just kind of off the cuff conversation he um in in this one and in debate number three as well there have been certain lines and i think it was when he um referenced nikki haley's daughter being on tiktok or something like that uh and she told him to keep her name out of his mouth 
Um, he's 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 ticking off a lot of the, the the because he comes off as being very very intelligent, which he obviously is, but come yeah. uh, comes off as if he's speaking down to his opponents personally, and it's turning off some of the audience members enough that audible boos are heard on television. Um, and again, he's not he's not being judged by that audience. But what does that say to you? What it says to me is I've actually been to these GOP debates in person, and they are just full of the GOP donor class. They're full of the country club Republicans. They don't represent America first. They don't represent the men and women who are going to be voting in primaries in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina in the next couple of months. And so when I'm on the trail with him, the support is unbelievable. You look at the poll numbers, actually, the surveys that have been done after the debate. Vivek has won every debate by the widest margin possible in those post-debate surveys, not by the ones that are done by CNN political analysts or the New York Times editorial board. But if you ask GOP voters who impressed you the most, it's been Vivek, Vivek, Vivek in all four of those debates. And that tells you everything. So my last question for you, since we're on this topic on the political side of things, is he actually running for president? And the reason I say that is because the one thing he does not do on the debate stage or on the stump or in writings or anywhere else is is take on Donald Trump. He's trailing Donald Trump, as are all of them, by extraordinary numbers. The only way to try to actually beat the guy is going to have to be to take him down and disagree with him on something, to uh, to criticize something, a policy, uh, a part of the record. He will not take on anybody, or excuse me, he takes on everybody on those stages, but he will not take on Donald Trump, which makes me wonder if he actually wants to be president or if he is auditioning for a role within the Trump administration. I can tell you firsthand, Bob, to your listeners, Vivek is running for president. He, he and his wife and his children have made an enormous sacrifice in doing this, have personally invested over $15 million in this campaign, are not being backed by anonymous super PACs. To the point about President Trump, I'll just say this. I think Vivek realizes that the policies that President Trump supported, the America First agenda, are resonating with the people. And so people like Nikki and Chris Christie and Ron, they're not just attacking the man, they're attacking the movement, they're attacking this America First philosophy. And so there's a very big difference between looking at the message and the messenger. I think there's going to be a time and place to talk about the qualifications of Vivek, the younger age, the less baggage, the ability to potentially unite the country in a way that, look, whatever we think about Trump, about a third of the country becomes psychiatrically ill when he holds office. And so that doesn't necessarily portend well for national unity. But the, the, the big beef I have with Nikki, with Ron and with Chris is they attack Trump, not just as an, an individual, but on the America first policy that gave us four years of undeniable, exceptional prosperity in this country. A lot of people want that back. Look at that New York Times, Siena poll, uh, 22% of black Americans are now in a position to vote for Trump. Those are unheard of numbers for a Republican. And so the America first movement, whether you look at Chicago or New York, longtime black residents up in arms about the illegal migrants who are being forced into their schools, their communities, being kicked out, being given benefits that they would never be given seven, eight thousand dollars a month. In the case of Chicago, five hundred dollars a night at a hotel. In the case of New York, the people are frustrated. The America first movement does not belong to Trump. It does not belong to Vivek. It belongs to you, me and three hundred and thirty million people. And we are upset about what's happening at the border at what's happening with this foreign aid, this foreign military assistance. And it's time for us to rise up. And whoever the candidate is, it really has to be an America first candidate for us to win. I believe that the fake is the better of the two, but I'm prepared to support both in the general. 
James Fishback, the founder of Incubate Debate and obviously working with Team Vivek. Do me a favor, put in a good word for me with Trisha. We've been trying to schedule Vivek for my TV show uh, as well, and uh, we're trying to find a time to make that work. Uh, so if you can put in a good word for me, we would love to have this conversation in a much longer format. But for now, thank you for uh, shining the spotlight on what's going on in the debate world, and thank you for doing what you do with the Incubate Debate. Bob, thank you very much. Fist bumps all your listeners. And we're going to, together, we're going to make debate great again. Thanks very much, James. That's James Fish. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. All right, 1035. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer on this fist bump Friday. Thanks also to James Fishback. Great conversation earlier with Mark Morgan as well on the ongoing border crisis. And now let's go Buckeye style, hyper local, kind of sort of, uh, at least uh, in uh, the state of Ohio. The Senate President Matt Huffman joins us now to talk about a host of important uh, legislative matters that are being dealt with on in both chambers, his Senate and in the Ohio House. President Huffman, good to have you back here in Cleveland on AM 1420. The answer, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me back again. Yes, sir. I appreciate you making the time. I know you're a very busy guy. You got a lot of things to, uh, a lot of irons and a lot of fires right now. So thanks for uh, keeping us up to date on what's going on. Let's talk about DEI and why it has got to go and why uh, professors and higher education experts uh, agree that SB 83, Senate Bill 83, getting the ideology out of schools uh, is so important. Senator Serino's bill ought to, should have been a slam dunk. It's uh, meeting a lot of uh, obstruction, however, over on the House side. Tell me, uh, tell me where you think that's headed. Well, yeah, we, we uh, Jerry Serino, a senator there from Lake and Cuyahoga County, has uh, worked extraordinarily hard, including making uh, changes, suggested changes to the House that some of their members want, uh, wanted. Um, and it, it, it's hard to say why that it's not going up for a vote over there in the House. Perhaps it will next week. Um, but the, the, you know, you don't, we don't always get to look in the room and see what's uh, being decided over there. I, I, it did pass out of a committee, uh, despite a couple of no Republican votes, uh, over there, but I'm hopeful they, they'll pass it next week. I'm hopeful too, but are you predictive of that? Because, uh, Jason Stevens has uh, been on record a couple of different times saying he doesn't think it'll have the, he didn't think it would have the votes to get out of the committee, and he doesn't think it's going to have the votes to pass, and he's uh, apparently, at least according to some, in no rush to call for a vote. Um, have you spoken to the speaker? Um, not specifically about that. Uh, a lot of folks have who have said generally the same thing during the budget negotiations when we wanted to include Senate Bill 83 in there, um, the, the communications from the leaders in the House was, well, there's 60 votes and we'd rather pass it as an independent bill. And so it didn't go into the budget. There are a lot of other things, of course, going on at that time. So um, it, it's a bit of a mystery to me that, uh, and there, there may or may not be Democrats vote for it, but there's 67 Republican seats over there. I got to think there's at least 50 votes in their caucus to pass it. I would think so, and I would hope so, which just kind of makes me wonder, and and I know you don't want to get bogged down into this on the other side, but what was promised in exchange for, you know, 33 Democrats supporting Jason Stevens back in uh, January when the uh, when the entire speaker steal of 22 happened uh, uh, and, and 23 happened? Um, you just wonder what was promised. You wonder if uh, there are certain things that they that they expected from him in order to get him that gavel. Do you think about that kind of thing? 
Well, I, I don't think there's any question. There's there's more of an influence by the Democratic caucus on uh, on this speaker than there ever has been before because of the nature of the vote. I you know it doesn't take any uh, political scientist to figure that out. That's just the way uh, these things work. Explicit promises? Who knows? I mean, there were at the time there were a lot of things mentioned specifically by the minority leader Allison Russo. Uh, about agreements or suggestions or, or whatever category you want to put them in. But um, it's, it's clearly affecting policy. Um, and this, this Senate Bill 83 is a lot of really common sense stuff. This is stuff that's overwhelmingly supported by the public. And, it, and you know, going beyond that, just to the policy, it's really damaging higher education. You've got an echo chamber in there where people are only talking to people who we agree with. And when that happens, uh, you get a lot of bad ideas. This is why we have the First Amendment in the United States. So we, we get to hear what everybody has to say and we find out, hey, sometimes I'm wrong and the other side's right. So this is uh, this is something that Ohioans overwhelmingly support, I think. Yeah. President Huffman, last question on 83, and then we'll move on. The left and the, the Democrats who oppose this bill are saying the exact opposite of what you just said. They said the passage of SB 83 and it becoming law would be anti-free speech. That would sabotage free speech and expression in the classrooms because the teacher or the professors and the teachers and so forth would not be able to say what they want to say and express their own ideologies uh, to the students, that they're the ones who would be silenced. Yeah, you know, I I suppose, uh, you know, making up an argument like that and and suggesting the opposite might be true. That, yeah, it's just, that's kind of what people do. No, it's not me, it's you. But, you know, overwhelmingly, and I, you know, you can look at whatever report you want. Um, the higher education has become a, a, uh, a liberal leftist, whatever moniker you want to give it, uh, a place. And, and, you know, parents, Today, they know when they took their kids to uh, colleges, they, they were sat down and said, we want you to tell us what pronouns you want to use. They had to go through all this sort of indoctrination, which to most of us, when you look at somebody and say, what? What, what are you talking about? Um, but they have to go through this. Athletes have to sign stuff that say you're only going to do these kinds of things. And, and there's regular discipline and all of that. I mean, it, it's really a strange uh, world in in many ways one of that we're, most of us aren't used to so um and, and you know again these kinds of strange ideas promulgate as normalcy when there's only one kind of voice discussing it and you know you again look at whatever surveys you want i mean when when they higher education administrators and professors are over 90 percent democrat over 90 percent say that they are liberal well, of course, you're going to have um, this kind of thing happen. So we want to make sure that there is diversity of thought in higher education. And, you know, that, that's why I, I always chuckle when, you know, I'll see in a newspaper article, they've got um, independent uh, political science professor so-and-so, and somehow they always agree with the Democrats. Well, that's because they're all Democrats, too. So the independent expert college professor isn't very independent. 
Yeah, that's perfectly stated. Uh, you know, the D and DEI is diversity. They seem to care about diversity of skin color, diversity of sexual orientation and pronouns, but not diversity of intellectual thought. You have to be uh, one ideological perspective or you're not welcome. That's uh, that's That's got to change. Uh, we're talking with Ohio Senate President Matt Huffman. Let's talk about issue two. It passed, and now recreational weed is legal in Ohio, but with some caveats. You can't get it at dispensaries yet. You can grow it up to a certain amount. Because this wasn't an actual constitutional amendment, lawmakers can tweak it somewhat. Uh, the left is freaking out about that. What kinds of regulation, regulations are you looking for? Do you think that you and some of the other leaders are going to be looking for to minimize the damage uh, to kids, to workers, to drivers, and so forth um, uh, with respect to uh, the, the new weed, recreational weed law? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, as of right now, you can go down to your... Uh... <laughs> Christmas tree lighting ceremony in your local town, and there may be a guy smoking a joint right beside you and your kid. And, um, you know, obviously there's things like that that, um, you know, need to be considered. There's some clear, what I would say, errors in the drafting of this. Right now, the way this is, the, the law in the state of Ohio is only those with felony convictions are able to get a license to sell marijuana. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, and, um, you know, they have a, uh, a a minimum amount of THC. They meant to say maximum, but that's not what the language says. So there's there's stuff like that. Um, you know, the, the home growth thing, uh, one of the problems with the way that was drafted is it, it allows, uh, say, a couple in a home to grow enough marijuana for about 2,500 uh, joints, uh, cigarette, marijuana cigarettes in a, in a day or in a year, rather. And, of course, that's way more than someone is going to use for for personal use, I think, I hope. Um, But what that means is people are going to grow it and sell it. So there's going to be an immediate black market for that. And rather than going and buy it at a license where you know that, hey, this is not laced with whatever that person who happens to be selling it out of their house is going to do. So. Where it's upcharged um, as know, well because of the tax. It's going to be more expensive at the dispensary. So they think the black market's going to go away. It's going to expand. Yeah, exactly. And, and and what we were trying to do in getting this passed uh, yesterday and trying to get the House to, to act um, was say, hey, look, we, we need to do this before this black market uh, is established. And, and it's it's going to be. I mean, people are doing it right now. Um, and so, you know, if, if we're going to have uh, legalized marijuana with all the problems that it brings, the mental health problems, the poison control problems, um, the damage to health, both mentally and physically, that has happened in every other state that's legalized. Let's at least make sure that those who aren't smoking marijuana uh, and are protected from it, that people who, that, that if there's going to be a tax, that the tax is paid, that people who are smoking marijuana know what they're buying. Um, this is why we don't uh, let people make uh, vodka in their house and sell it because there's some health restrictions and That's things right. like that that we want to make sure, well, is this 190 proof or is it 40 proof or exactly what? So it's it's um, there's a whole variety of problems. And, of course, this was drafted by the people who are going to make the most money. Part of the tax, ultimately, that people would pay on this, part of that goes back to the people who are selling the marijuana, which is a heck of a deal. If the car dealer got to get back money that was paid in tax or the grocer or whoever it is, um, that'd be a great deal. But but at this point, only people selling marijuana get that deal. 
We're talking to Senate President uh, Matt Huffman. So along with recreational weed, issue one passed, which uh, we all know what that's about. Uh, Now that it is officially the law, um, is the heartbeat law, which has been being considered by the Ohio Supreme Court, officially dead? Um, Are there any protections for preborn lives that can be added by the General Assembly now that this uh, constitutional amendment has become law? Well, I, I think there's, you know, that's a, a, a further discussion and further question. Um, you know, folks have who were for this had said, well, this doesn't mean all of the things that uh, people like Matt Huffman are saying. Well, if we pass a law, um, for example, that says uh, a child can't go in and have some health procedure, an abortion, without their parents knowing about it, um Somebody will sue, whoever's performing the abortion, that group will sue and say, well, we don't have, that 15 or 14-year-old doesn't have to, their parents don't have to know about it and don't have to consent to it. So those things are, you know, because of the vagueness that constitutional amendments usually have, including this one, it doesn't cover all of those things. So, um, you know, for example, if we, we said we're going to ban partial birth abortion in the state of Ohio, Probably Planned Parenthood would sue and say, you can't do that because of the constitutional amendment. So we, we really don't know um, what restrictions, if, if any, that the, the legislature can put on. Um, I think everybody's still thinking about that. But, yeah, I mean, I think the answer is this this um, did away with the heartbeat uh, bill. And, um, you know, as I've said to a lot of people, there's going to be a series of tragedies that become public regarding abortion and other health care procedures uh, over the next few years. And people will turn around and say, oh, well, when we voted for this, we didn't mean that. And there will be a call to do something about it. And, and the same thing with, with marijuana. When we see that, as has happened everywhere, uh, the increase with, uh, in smoking marijuana has led to more teenagers committing suicide. People will say, shouldn't we do something about that? But unfortunately, uh, as I said, I call it uh, legislation by tragedy. There's there's a tragedy and in, in there's a legislative or public response to that or a demand from the public for a legislative response. And those things are going to happen. Um, so it's, it's going to be a kind of a long, painful road for Ohio uh, because of the passage of these two issues. We are talking with, it really is, and I'm going to ask you one more question. We're talking with Senate President Matt Huffman. One more question about a particular bill, and then I'm going to ask you a general question about the state of Ohio. Um, Let's talk about 68. You had Riley Gaines in last week testifying uh, in support of the SAFE Act, which now encompasses the Saving Women's Sports Act. Kim Russell uh, joined Riley in D.C. just uh, a couple of days ago, testifying before the Oversight Committee about this, uh, about Title IX uh, where do we stand on House Bill 68, and how important is this bill, uh, President Huffman? Yeah, so the House Bill 68 actually has two subject matters. One is the uh, protect uh, women's sports. I, I say in Ohio, protect girls' sports, because we're talking about high schoolers, too. Right, right on. And um, we, we have uh, the bill in committee. I think uh, Senator Rogner is a, a great legislator chairing the committee. They had over 100 witnesses. They listened to witnesses deep into the night and morning this week and you know the full committee we're waiting for action for that but you know it's it's simply common sense stuff that says uh you know biological boys uh you know born a male uh can't participate in girls sports and because of the fairness because of the 
the danger to uh, the girls. And this is really overwhelmingly supported uh, by the public, well over 70 percent. And it's hard to get over 70 percent for, for just about anything um, supported this. And so um, I think that's going to be supported by our Senate. There may be a few changes and clarifications from the original House bill. We also have, as part of that bill, um, the restrictions on surgeries to children regarding uh, not changing their gender, but that, that's kind of the euphemism that people uh, use. Yeah. And that's part of that bill also. Now, we're, we're making some changes to that to clarify uh, things that hospitals can do. And there's, there's really three parts to it. There's surgeries, there's uh, chemicals, and then there's counseling. And that, those things are treated differently. The, the first two are essentially banned. The second one is that can happen, but only if both parents know about it and consent to it. Um, this is a problem at a lot of schools where some school officials think they should be able to counsel children regarding this, even if their parents don't know about it. And it's part of the problem, I think, in schools where schools have assumed a role of in loco parentis rather than we're here to teach them chemistry and math and American history, we're also here to shape their lives uh, emotionally. And that's not the job of the school. That's the job of their fa- the child's family. So um, I got off topic there a little bit. But essentially, those, the 60, uh, that, that, that bill, uh, we've had um, probably more process than any other bill uh, that we've had. Um, I think the committee will pass it. I think the Senate will pass it next week with some changes. Hopefully, the House will around long enough to concur on those changes next week and uh, we can be done with it for the year so very very good points all the way around and i'm glad you you went as deep as you did so i i just want to ask you what kind of a state ohio is now you know i sit here we're talking about weed and you pointed out correctly about all of the problems all of the other states who have passed uh, recreational weed have endured and i'm thinking to myself why would ohio a red state in the Midwest, the heart of the country, follow that. And they look, well, we also went with the most radical abortion uh, 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 law in, in the land, even more radical than California's and New York's and others by allowing babies to be aborted all the way up until the moment of birth. And I'm thinking to myself, they, we also voted for Trump twice. We also voted for Republicans overwhelmingly in the legislature. We voted for Republicans in all of the statewide offices. And I'm sitting there looking at this and saying, what is Ohio right now? So, so Matt Huffman, Senate President, when you look at it, are we a red state? Did we just shift into a, back into a purple state by the result of these elections and some of these radical things that they're trying to do to, to um, uh, you know, continue to promote DEI in our, in our universities and, uh, and in our schools? What kind of state is Ohio right now? Well, when, when I hear a question like that, I, I think of my favorite movie, Casablanca, and the character Louis Renault. Claude Rains uh, asked Rick Blaine, Humphrey Bogart, what kind of a man are you? And uh, Rick Blaine responded, I'm a man just like any other man, only more so. And I I think Ohio is a state that is very American. And uh, one thing, America is a a different country than any place else in the world. If you'd like to hear more, look at uh, episode, uh, one of the Freakonomics episodes, I think it's 394, uh, regarding why America is different than every place else. And essentially, Americans don't like to be told what to do. They don't like to be told what to do by the federal government, the state government, the local government, their local school board. And I think both of these reflect that. They don't 
they, they don't want the government telling them what to do regarding abortion. We say health care, but this is really about abortion. And the same thing is true with marijuana. The same thing is true with guns. They don't want people to tell them whether they can have a gun or not. They don't want people to tell them how they're going to educate their kids at school. And at the same time, the tragedies and the other things that happen as a result of that, they do want the government to do something about that. And um, so, you know, I do think um, going back even to our August uh, election, there were a lot of reasons that, that that failed. We didn't have a long enough campaign. We didn't have full buy-in from right. Republicans, especially Republicans in the legislature. And, um, you know, so so that was the same thing. There were a lot of Republicans that voted against that because, well, what if I want to put something on the ballot? I don't want to have to get the 60 percent. So I, I think this is, this is um, th- these things, the pendulum swings back and forth. And as I mentioned, when there's a series of tragedies and, you know, our, our, hopefully our media and generally I think they do a good job from from, you know, radio to TV to newspaper eventually sometimes, um, you know, th- these things are going to be exposed. And it does take individuals, including individual legislators, uh, to take a stand on these things. Uh, and say, hey, wait, now, and that's the thing, this higher education thing, this has been going on for 30 years, and, and finally is so bad that we're going to do something about it. And p- people ask me, what's the most important um, uh, aspect or characteristic of a legislator? And, and my answer to that is the legislator needs to be fearless. They can't worry about whether they're going to be excoriated by the interest group and usually it's the interest group that doesn't like it, who then gets their message into the media and to other people. And when these things happen, I'm not saying if they happen mm-hmm. regarding abortion mm-hmm. and marijuana, people are going to be demanding that things happen. Um, so I, I think Ohio, you know, politically, they look at someone like Donald Trump and they say, he's, he's different than everybody else in Washington. And we don't like Washington telling us what to do. Um, and that's a lot. That's millions and millions of individual experiences. It's not just that is, what's happening with the border or what's happening with Ukraine. It's all of their frustrations with the federal government. And Donald Trump represents the guy who's going to fight against that. Pre- President Upman, it's well observed. Uh, the orchestra is playing us off the stage, so we're going to have to step away. Uh, thank you very much for the great insight into all of these very important legislative matters. Keep up the great work, and we appreciate your time very much. It's a pleasure. Thanks very much, Bob. Thank you. Senate President Matt Huffman joining us. we got to get out so we can come back in again. Kim Russell, remember her? Former women's lacrosse coach at Oberlin College. Yeah, she made the big time. She testified before a congressional committee. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I 
have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Alrighty then, hour number three is underway, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Thank you to Matt Huffman, Senate President Huffman. A tremendous insight into a lot of the important legislation going on right now in Columbus. We spoke earlier on with um, James Fishback, the founder of Incubate Debate, and from Team Vivek Ramaswamy. And then earlier on, we spoke with Mark Morgan from the uh, the uh, former acting commissioner of the U.S. Customs and Border Protection. But now I want to welcome back a guest that we spoke with just a couple of months ago about a terrible situation, one in which she was forced to forced out of her job as the head women's lacrosse coach at Oberlin College for daring to speak her mind in the most innocuous and completely harmless of ways in response to uh, a social media post. But uh, Kim Russell was removed from her position as coach, was reassigned at Oberlin College, and eventually ended up leaving Oberlin College. She um, was not just chastised for her social media post, as she said in an interview on this program and one with the Independent Women's Forum. She was burned at the stake, stoned, not as in getting high, but the other kind, where people throw rocks at you, verbal rocks. She was told that uh, she was a horrible person. She lost her role as coach, which she had done for 27 years, all because she dared to defend women's sports as being places and spaces for gasp women and should not be interfered with or invaded by or infiltrated by biological males uh now the biden administration is reviewing and rewriting title nine rules to allow that to happen which is what took her to washington dc along with riley Gaines, whom we spoke with last week uh to testify uh, in support of women's sports. So Kim Russell has been kind enough to join us once again to give us an update on her story and also to talk about her testimony before the House Oversight Committee on Tuesday. So, Kim Russell, welcome back to our, our program here on AM 1420. The answer, it's good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much, Bob, for having me. Are you, are, are you used to the spotlight yet? Because uh, you, <laughs> you seem like a pretty private... When we spoke before, and from everything that I've read... You seem like a pretty private person. You don't, you know, you're not a a spotlight seeker. You just like to put your head down and go and coach your girls and play your sports and be the athlete and the coach you've always been. But you were thrust into a, into kind of a role as a spokesperson like Riley, I think, for women's sports. You getting used to that yet? It's pretty crazy. Um, and testifying and being in that hearing for three hours. Um, was uh, unbelievably eye-opening for what is going on in this country right now. <laughs> was it more eye-opening than the three hours you were forced to sit in the middle of the firing squad uh, and uh, and face all of the uh, com- condemnation for daring to have an original thought of your own that didn't f- uh, follow along with the Oberlin ideology? <laughs> well, honestly, you know, I really believe that I was I was put into that place for that amount of time for a specific reason. And if that reason is so I can speak up and defend and advocate for the, um, for women and girls in not just in sports, but in private spaces as well, then um, it's all worth it. Good for you. Good for you. I want to talk more about your experience there in Washington and your testimony, but, but just to give everybody a, 
an update on what has happened with you. The last time we spoke, you were reassigned to a position where you did not have contact with the uh, student-athletes at Oberlin. Since then, you are gone. Tell us uh, how that played out. Correct. Um, When I was reassigned and offered that position, um, I chose not to take it. So I I, I never accepted it. and never went in except to meet with human resources and to turn in um, my computer and phone and keys and all of that, you know, hard stuff. (laughs) Did you, did you, did you do that um, willingly? In other words, meaning that you, you, you were like, I'm done. I don't want to be here anymore. Or, or did you think about fighting for your job by, by getting an attorney and saying, you can't do this. I'm going to fight. Like what, what made you decide to turn in your computer and your key card, et cetera? So I do have an attorney. I've had an attorney since um, June of 2022 um, or actually, sorry, May of 2022 um, when I was given a letter at the end of the lacrosse season stating that I had to change my behavior immediately. And, um, you know, since then, basically everything came under fire once I chose to speak up publicly. And in this case, um, you know, I knew when they did not fire me, but removed me from coaching and wanted to put me in an office away from interaction with students. Um, there's something called quality of life, right? <laughs> and, and, and what's worth it in this life. Um, it was time for me to leave. Mm-hmm. So I made that choice. Um, I did not want to walk back into that building again. Um, it was important for me. I watched the entire Gibson trial and saw that, you know, two members of their family died during that trial. And and what is worth that, right? Nothing. My health, um, my ability to be with my own children and to live a joyful life is much more important than um, proving a point. I think that point has been proven. Good for you. That, boy, that, and that's such a great, healthy way to look at that, too. Is it worth fighting this and then only to go back into a place that if you were to win a lawsuit, you, you would still be scorned? They would they, they would look at you differently. They wouldn't welcome you. They would, uh, you know, essentially ostracize you from, uh, from everyone, and uh, you would be a pariah there. And so why would you want to walk back into that? That's not healthy. Good for you, and I'm sure the Gibsons thing was very... Uh, you know, instructive for you on on how to proceed against these people. So now you're in Washington, D.C. You're a celebrity witness. You are testifying before the Oversight Committee. I want to give just a a short uh, sample of this for people to listen to before we talk about specifics. There are extreme differences in the biology of men and women. I've experienced it as an athlete and a coach and a parent. Um, As an athlete, I chose to play co-ed field hockey as an adult. My worst injury I've ever had came from that. Um, A man fell on top of me when I fell this way. I'm 5'4", maybe 120 pounds soaking wet. I haven't ever been bigger except when I was pregnant. When he fell on me, two of my ribs popped off of my sternum. 
Those are the kind of injuries, and what happened to Peyton McNabb has recently happened to another high school athlete in California whose dad is too afraid to say anything. And this cancel culture, what's happened is kids are too afraid to say anything. Parents are too afraid to say anything. Coaches are in massive fear of losing their jobs. Professors are in massive fear of losing their jobs. All for standing up for women. Um, Kim Russell, you approached that like a boss. Um, I'm wondering, were you intimidated? Did you have to get in the right frame of mind to testify and to answer questions from the the members of that committee? Or were you confident right from the get-go? It was great, Bob. Um, I was not intimidated at all because, to me, this is my passion. This has been my entire life has been... Um, affected by Title IX. Um, you know, I was able to play two sports at the D1 level and go to a college on an athletic scholarship because of Title IX. My first internship while I was in college was at Wimbledon. That's because I played those sports. My first real job out of college was with IMG working in men's professional jo- golf, which wouldn't have happened without Title IX again because of my background and how I met Mark McCormick, who was the CEO of IMG. So I really have had so many opportunities and then coaching for 27 years for women and girls and starting programs for women women and girls at every level from youth to international, all is about Title IX. And then obviously, I'm a woman. I have two girls and two boys. And... You know, I, I see the physical differences. We all see them. This is just reality. So what was the most upsetting to me in that hearing and honestly made me sad was listening to Summer Lee and how much hate was in her voice. Oh, my gosh. And how much, um, you know, really rudeness in the way that most of the representatives um, on the one side of the aisle weren't even looking at us when we testified. They were just looking at their phones. They weren't paying attention. Um, very few asked us questions. They just spoke regarding whatever their agenda was. But the fact that, the, that three Democratic representatives who are women are against this bill and against standing up for women is what hurt my heart. And I I literally wanted to hold them and hug them and say, what happened to you that you feel this way? Uh, And I kept hearing, well, you're excluding transgender. This is not about excluding anyone. This is about having everyone play on the teams that are whatever they were born biologically and keeping girls and women's sports female and men's and boys sports male. Mm-hmm. And if you you want an open category, the open category has always been the men's and boys. And as far as co-ed, that's fine up to a certain age. So it just, it really broke my heart that I, to see that I don't believe these people understand that they are undermining women and girls 
No, they don't, and, or or they don't care one way or the other. Um, just a quick follow up on that: Summer Lee calling Riley a misogynist, and uh, Riley, or excuse me, calling her a transphobe, and then Riley just responding right back. Well, then you know your position on this is misogynistic, and her wanting to have that stricken from the record. Fortunately, it was not. But I wanted to ask you, Kim. Did anybody come at you the way they did at Riley with such uh, with such venom and, as you say, hatred on her face and in her voice? So Summer Lee came at all of us. It was her opening remark mm-hmm. and basically said, you're going to hear um, bigotry and hatred and um, from these transphobic people or and maybe I'm, I'm sorry if I'm misquoting that at all, but it's pretty in line. And then Riley was the first person to speak on it. So Riley um, is one of the most amazing humans I've ever met and so passionate and so well-spoken. And, you know, it, she threw it right back at her mm-hmm. of, you know, if you're going to say this, then, then this is really what you're doing. And that was so, just in, that was just in the open when it came into the questioning period though, the, you know, the five minutes at a time and so forth did, um, did you have any exchanges where you felt personally attacked, and uh, and how did you how did you handle that? I haven't seen the entire testimony; I've only seen snippets of it. I did see your entire opening statement, <clears throat> but then only snippets of the rest of it. So, did you uh, did you have to engage in any you know one on one battles uh, with the questioners? Said most of the um, Democratic representatives did not question us, um, and. The couple of times when we were given the chance to speak or we were questioned, um, it was not, I did not feel attacked and it was very easy for me to answer the question because this is not a difficult topic. It is about reality. So, um, you know, it was the, the biggest thing that, that they kept saying was you're excluding transgender. And I just kept repeating, we are including everyone. We are protecting women and girls exactly. in sports and private spaces. Um, the um, the one woman spoke about um, girls, you know, if we do this, girls are going to have to have um, their entire bodies looked at. And, you know, she was very specific and it's like, okay, guess what? Already, every high school and college athlete has a physical at the beginning of the season. Exactly. There's there's no changes here happening. That's exactly right. And 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 if done to, it's typically done to confirm their ability to participate in a healthy way in these sports and not you know have any right. injuries or underlying conditions that might stop them. And if all along the way it means we confirm that you are indeed a biological female, uh, that's 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 okay because that's part of the thing. Um, I wanted to ask you about what the um, National Women's Law Center president, Fatima or Fatima Goss Graves, one of the witnesses who said that female athletes should learn to lose gracefully to biological men rather than learn to be competitive and win in your own spaces and earn your scholarships and earn your awards and honors and do everything that men can do. No, um, just just, just learn to take your losses to biological men a little bit more gracefully and all will be well. What, what do you respond? How do you respond to that? Again, that organization just disappoints me because how can they be called the National Women's Legal Center and say anything like that? 
um, it, it blew me away. Uh, and there are a couple of women's organizations at the national level right now um, who are not supporting women. And one of the one of my um, roles moving forward is is to point that out and say, you know, who are you really standing for? And do you need to change your name? Um, that's a great question. And no, they won't, um, because I, the, the word woman doesn't mean anything to them anyway, quite frankly. Um, you know, it's been, that's been well documented. The last question I'm going to ask you for today, Kim Russell, is this, and I asked Riley the same question last week when I had Riley on, um, is it time to, for all female competitors to just walk away until this is fixed? In other words, do, not, not don't enter the competition, but enter it, and when you walk onto the court or the field or the, the swim platform or wherever it is that you're competing, if you look around and you know that there is a biological male at the start of this, this is what I want to see happen. When, when, the, when the ball is put in play or when the whistle blows or whatever, every single actual female leave their, 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 their platform of competition and, and say, we're not doing this. Because I feel like that's going to be the only way to stop this massive invasion of men into, into women's spaces. Is it time to do something like that? Solidarity. Yeah, right. That's the word. Stand, stand together. Uh, I believe as women, we need to stand together. And if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. And I think it's really important for your listeners to also know that, you know, the voice of reason is the majority right now. I have many friends who are lesbians, gay men, and even some who identify as transgender who all believe that sports should be segregated by biological female and biological male. This is not a partisan, you know, debate. It, it shouldn't, shouldn't be. It should. There you go. It shouldn't be. It, it is, unfortunately, because all of those opposing this are on one particular party and those who want women to have their spaces are in the other particular party. And, and let's put it this way. I don't know if you were much of a into the politics of things prior to this situation involving you, but when you've got General Michael Flynn tweeting in response to Kim Russell, we need 10,000 Kim Russells. We need men to also stand up for what is right and good for young women athletes. Too much hard work and sacrifice has gone into to achieving what so many women have achieved in sports and in life. Uh, General Michael Flynn, of course, as you know, worked for Donald Trump. So I don't know if you were political before this, but he just literally tweeted, we need 10,000 Kim Russells. That's got to carry some weight with you. Yeah, it was um, really humbling that he (laughs) tweeted that. It was very humbling. And um, I feel very honored that he would even acknowledge acknowledge me, much less say the amazing things that he did. Well, so I feel I, I am grateful for that, and I will continue to stand up. I will continue to speak out. I will be calling out every sports organization who is wavering or, or not making decisions or allowing transgenders to compete with women. So, 
Well, your uh, voice is your voice is enormously <laughs> important. Your voice and your presence are enormously important. They're going to be a, play a huge role in trying to uh, reclaim women's sports spaces uh, for women. Uh, thank you, Kim, for doing what you do. I'm sorry you have to go through all of this to get here. But like you said, you, you're looking at like maybe you were put there for a reason. That happened to you last year for a reason, so that you could be here doing what you're doing right now and working for a very, very important uh, cause. So, Kim Russell, Absolutely. thank you so much. Uh, God bless you for doing what you do. And we'll stay in touch, okay? Thanks so much, Bob. Thank take you. Care. All right. That's Kim Russell. Uh, we'll take this to the bottom, and we're going to come back and find Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.